Disclaimer. This document is not a recommendation of any kind. MDMA is still illegal. I'm not recommending you participate in any illegal activities or do anything without consulting your doctor or licensed therapist. I don't know what's right for you. Only you know that. This journey is not for the faint of heart nor anyone looking for a first-class ticket to Easy Street. I'm only sharing my experiences in this audio. I won't be explaining how it works, why it works, or anything else about the process. I have linked additional resources at michaelapollockcom forward slash MDMA therapy if you wish to do more research about trauma or MDMA therapy. My second session. I don't know why anything surprises me at this point, but nothing has surprised me much more than an MDMA journey. It's magic. I thought so after my first session, but after my second session, the intelligence of the medicine became even more evident. The difference between my two sessions amazes me the most. In hindsight, I believe the two experiences would be similar. I thought both sessions would play like a movie, but have different scenes. My first experience did feel like a movie about my past, with some added flair. Then I got to go back and edit the scenes the way I desired. My second experience felt more like a visit to the past so I can talk and comfort an old friend. Little did I know the friend would be little me. The first session also felt more spiritual, like a deep meditation where I left my body to run through the clouds and fly with the birds. The second session felt very in body, and instead of going to the clouds to see my past from above, my body revealed the memories that lived within me but were long forgotten though my friends did return. What's in the cage this time? I ask, and tension clamps my heart. The vision becomes clear. Locked away in a cage sits my heart. I open the door to the cage, but my heart doesn't budge. My heart has grown, but the cage has not. My heart bulges through the doors of the cage like she has on jeans that are five sizes too small. She doesn't need freed. She needs rescued. On my way to the session, I got a text from a friend that said, at the end of the day, the heart always wins, despite what the mind says. As I pondered how to rescue my heart, I heard my friend's voice say, listen to your heart. It's always right. When did I quit listening to my heart? I wonder. My dog and eight-year-old me appears. I look at eight-year-old me and tell her I need to talk to my dog first because it will go quicker than my conversation with her. Before my second session, I had anxiety pop up about my dog dying, and it got worse as the session got closer. Are you going to leave me? I ask him. In a way, he said, I'm supposed to be your kid's dog, but you're taking a long time to have kids. Oh, did you come back to be my kid's dog? It really took you that long to figure it out. It normally does, Willie. I hug him and tell him thank you for being the best dog ever. I've always thought my childhood dog, Hootie, reincarnated as Willie. My mom got Hootie three years before I went from the womb to a room, and he latched onto me immediately. It felt like Hootie was always meant to be my dog, but had to buy some time for me to make my appearance into the world. It makes sense to me that his soul repeated the same cycle with me instead of my mom. I love this part of life. A bar bursts from the cage around my heart and some tension releases. I turn to eight-year-old me. Did I stop listening to my heart with you? I ask. Yes, she said. Do you want to show me? First, we have to get rid of your ego. 
We grab hands and she walks us down to the pond located at the house I grew up at. Toss it in the pond, she tells me. I reach behind my back and grab a long, skinny stick with a small face at the top. I toss it in the pond and we watch it float for a minute. Ready, I say. The pond dissolves and we appear in the hallway of my babysitter's house. She trembles and so do I. We both know what went on in that room down the hall. But she knows a lot more than I do. Do you want to show me what happened in there? I ask. Not really, she replies. Did more happen in there than I remember? A lot more. I look down at her, her head hangs, and she locks her legs together in an attempt to block out the inevitable. How much more? Your body knows if you listen. I look up to the bedroom door. She shows me her entering the bedroom. Another blonde head appears at the door, then another, and then another appears behind her, and another, and another, and another. I look behind us and the line grows longer than the hallway. Oh no. I can't count the number of blonde heads even if I wanted to. And believe me, I didn't. And believe me, I didn't. It was a lot. Way more than I recalled. How? What? When did it start? I ask. Who did it start with would be a better question, she replies. What does she mean? It was him. He heard us. The the son. But abusers tend to have been abused, so who did he... Oh, no. The dad? I say to myself. Thousands of sensations rush through my bloodstream. Oh, my gosh. It started with his dad. She nods. I look at her little hand in mine. Her body continues to tremble as her legs remain locked. You know what? I say. We don't have to go into that bedroom. You've done such a great job and showed me enough. I knew bad things happened in there. It was worse than I thought, and eight-year-old me told me what I needed to know. I didn't need to know the details to know hell existed in that labyrinth of a bedroom. Her head whips up and looks at me and her eyes widen. Really? (laughs) Yes, really. I smile at her and the room dissolves and we appear in the playroom of our babysitter's house. Why are we still here? I assumed once we were done in the hallway we would be done at this house altogether. Shouldn't we move on? I turn to exit the house and the medicine tells me, stay here. What else is here? I look over at eight-year-old me. She paces in circles around the playroom. What's wrong? I ask her. She goes off. Everything is a mess. The room is clean, but it's all still a mess. It started with the dad and then it went to the son and then it came down to us. I try my best. I do try my best to keep everything clean, but it's never good enough. I love her, her babysitter. I know she loves me too. She loves kids. She just wants to have kids and to be around kids. She never meant for anyone to get hurt. Secretly, I think she knows, but she will never admit it. She wanted a family and she wanted kids. She needed to escape her situation and her husband was her escape, but it was the wrong escape. And she knows she just won't admit it. But she feels just as lost as we do, and her son, she would do anything to protect her son, so she turns a 
So she turns a blind eye and tells herself he's playing with the kids. He would never hurt a thing. So she uses distractions and lies to herself, but she hurts. That's obvious. And I just don't know what else to do. It's just all a big mess. And I don't know what else to do to clean it up. She continues to shout out all the messes that live within the walls of that house. As I watch her pace and vent, I see through her words and into the meaning behind them. She carries the emotional burden of everyone in that house, and not a single person has noticed how much pain she's in. Hell, I don't think she knows how much pain she's in, because she's learned to feel everyone else's pain except her own. She walks by me once again, and I reach out to grab her arm. Come here, sweetie. I wrap her in my arms and hold her while she cries. I'm so sorry. No one sees you and you see everyone. I let her cry in my arms and I tell her everything she never got to hear. As I hold her, I realize something else. I'm giving myself the love and comfort I needed and didn't receive. I think of my friend here with me. I feel her presence inside the babysitter's house and acknowledge how much she's helped me reclaim the love within myself. My heart fills with gratitude for this journey. Another bar bursts from the cage around my heart and some tension releases. Eight-year-old me escapes from my arms and starts pacing again. I feel the urge to leave and get out of this house. Stay here, the medicine repeats. I watch her pace for a minute. What else is wrong? I ask. I tried my best, and I just couldn't do it. I try. I really, really do try, and it's just never good enough. I don't get what she means. And then images of her playing with the other kids play like a slideshow before me. I don't understand. What do you feel like you didn't do? I ask her. She stops pacing and stares into my eyes. I hear a voice. It sounds like it's coming from the pond back home. Are you sure you want to know? The voice asks. I look up at the ceiling. Yeah, of course I want to know. Is it really that bad? I couldn't protect her, eight-year-old me shouts. Oh no, there are more kids. Who is it? I list the names in my head. Every time I say a name, I feel into my body. Nope, that's not right. Nope, 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 not that one either. One of the girls older than me has every sign of a sexual assault victim, but it wouldn't be her I'm worried about since that would have happened before me and a girl with dark hair emerges in the corner of my eye and heads back to the bedroom. Oh my gosh. I know now. I say. Yes, she shouts and returns to pacing. I tried to protect her. I tried. I really wanted to, but, 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 but. I just couldn't, and I didn't know what to do. Memories of her flood into my vision. I see her wetting her pants, her screaming because something was hurting in her privates, and her having random outbursts for what seemed like no reason. As the memories rise to the surface, so does the guilt attached to them. Guilt because we couldn't help her, and guilt because we felt relief when he moved onto her because that meant he wasn't hurting us anymore. The guilt swallows me whole, and the voice from the pond speaks again. I told you. I told you you didn't want to know. Well, I must admit, it's much heavier than I expected, but I needed to know. I know the only way to heal it is to feel it. 
And boy, are we feeling it right now. Is this when I decided we didn't want kids? Over the last six or seven years, something bothered me. I have a belief that we know more about what we want when we are kids and when we are adults. It's not that we don't know what we want as adults, but as kids, we admit it more honestly. So why did I want kids as a kid, but not as an adult? I remembered playing with baby dolls as a kid and helping take care of the other kids every chance I got. My nickname became Mama Michaela. So why did Mama Michaela not want to become a mom? Yes, she stops pacing and hangs her head. If we couldn't protect her, how are we supposed to protect our own kids? I bend down and hug her again. That wasn't your fault. You were just a kid. The adults around you have their heads in the sand and they missed your pain and they missed hers too. Tears stream from her eyes. It's not your fault, I repeat to her. More memories of things I blame myself for and feel guilty about resurface. Not taking my sister's dog with me and him dying later that night. It wasn't your fault, I tell myself. The lady dying in a car wreck in front of me. It wasn't your fault. Not being able to cure my friend's illness, it wasn't your fault. For the first time, I understand why I feel guilty all the time. I didn't come to this earth with guilt like I thought I did. Guilt built up brick by brick within my body, and each scenario weighed on top of the other. My cup overflowed with guilt, and if one drop of guilt got added, I would freak out, quit, or avoid the problem altogether because I couldn't handle any more guilt being poured into my already full cup. I wanted to dump it out as quickly as possible. It won't all release today, the medicine tells me. It will take time, and most of this work will be done outside of your session today. In your journal, write, I love and forgive myself on one page every day until you feel it release out of your heart. And throughout the day, repeat, I'm sorry, I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. A bar bursts from the cage around my heart and some tension releases. And I know the rest of the tension is here to stay for now. It won't all go away today, and it makes sense. Years of buildup won't wash away in a few hours. I release eight-year-old me from my arms, and she starts pacing again. Good lord, child, what else is there left to pace about? I pause for a moment to listen for instruction from the medicine. Hmm. Nothing. What do I do? I watch her little blonde head make circles in the playroom. Is she stuck here? Why don't we get out of here? She looks up at the hallway towards me. We can't leave the other little girl. We have to help her somehow. We must do something. It dawns on me she has no idea. Eight-year-old me doesn't know what happened with 12 and 13-year-old me since it was after her time. I smile at her. You did do something. You stopped it from happening again. I did? She looks at me, tilts her head, and squeezes her eyebrows together. You did. (laughs) You took his ass to court. I did? Yes. You told the detective about what happened with your babysitter's son when you were 12. Shortly after the cases started and ended when you were almost 14, 
It was a long road, but she stopped it. And for the first time, I understood why the case with the babysitter's son went to court first. I told the detective about the babysitter's son when he interviewed me about the horse trainer molesting me. He asked me if anything like this had ever happened to me. He asked me if anything else like this had ever happened to me before. And I told him I thought so, but the memories had just started to resurface and everything still looked fuzzy. It had always upset me that the rat's trial didn't go first. The wound I had with him felt bigger and more painful, so why did we use all my energy to take the other case to court first? It took almost two years before the first case closed. I felt drained and just wanted to be done with everything, so I agreed to a plea deal that gave the rat a whopping 30 days in jail. I try not to have regrets, but I held on to the regret. I try not to have regrets, but I held on to this regret with the whole situation. As I watched eight-year-old me grapple with pain and her regret, I see the reason why everything unfolded the way it did. It was all for her, for eight-year-old me. We really did it? I can't tell if I hear more surprise or relief in her voice. We really did, I remind her. Now are you ready to get out of here? She looks back towards the hallway. We still haven't done anything to help the other little girl. Both a stubborn and beautiful heart this kid has. Why don't we send some of our angels her way and ask them to put her on a healing path? And we can figure something else out once we get out of this house. She's out of here, sweetie. And we can't help her if you are still stuck here. She stops and looks up at me. Her eyes widen once again. We can do that? Yeah. And while we're at it, why don't we burn this place down? Metaphorically, of course. Really? Yeah, let's do it. We walk outside and watch the house burn. This doesn't feel like enough, she says to me. You were stuck in there a long time, huh? She nods. What do you say we get some eggs and egg it while it burns? She smiles and eggs appear in front of us. We toss eggs into the fire and laugh as the eggs splatter into the flames. I wonder if there's anything else we need to burn down while we're at it. 12-year-old me appears and says, we should burn the rat's house down too. The three of us disappear and reappear at the rat's house. The flames disintegrate the place where evil dwells. I feel like there's one more thing we need to burn down, but I can't figure it out. I ponder, then the three of us disappear and reappear in front of my family's business. Do I need to burn the family business down? My grandma and grandpa who started the business appear in front of me. Should I burn this down too? I ask them. They nod back to me. It's the quote unquote cash cow, as dad calls it. It's the family legacy. My grandma puts her hands around my face. It's hurt more families than it's helped, dear, including ours. I don't disagree. I continue. But you build it to support our family. Now grandpa grabs my face. We didn't do everything right, he starts. We meant to have a business that made the family stronger. We didn't mean to have a business that came before the family. Our actions translated the wrong meaning to the kids. Family should always come first, and we failed to communicate that well. But you can. My grandpa died about 20 years before I was born, so I never got the chance to meet him before he died. I smile. 
Dad says I'm a lot like you. He grins back to me. More than you know, kiddo. Burn it down. Eight-year-old me, 12-year-old me, and present-day me light up the building and watch it burn. We only burned one portion of the family business down, and that intrigues me the most. Maybe only one portion is poison. The scene dissolves and we arrive back at the house where I grew up. 12-year-old me sits on a pine bench swing next to the driveway, and 8-year-old me grabs my hand to go for a walk around the property. I start to ask her a question and she interrupts me. You helped me. Now it's my turn to help you. Only little me would say that so confidently. I forgot how free-spirited I was as a child. All right then, show me the way. She takes me back to the pond. You spend too much time inside. You need to spend more time outside. You need to be outside. It gives you energy. Got it, I tell her. No, seriously, you need to be outside a lot. Like from 2 p.m. until dark at least. I know you have to work inside, but if you can, you should be outside all but to sleep and for a couple of other hours. Oh, and you need to come down to this pond more. You used to come down here all the time and you don't do it enough anymore. There are things I enjoy that require me to be inside, I say back. Yeah, that's what you think. But I think it's more of a distraction from what you actually enjoy. You feel guilty for not working more, so you stay inside when you really need to be outside. What do I actually enjoy? I ask. Horses. Are you sure? I'm counseling you, remember? I know. But I don't think I enjoy it like I used to, I respond. That's what you tell yourself, but you've been telling yourself lies for a lot of years. I can't make money training horses. I have to work too hard to make money training horses. I'm not as good as so-and-so training horses. I'm sure there's more, but that's the main lies you tell yourself. I see an image of someone I used to ride with. I say I'm not as good as her. Well, I think you could be better, she says confidently. Really? Um, yeah. Because you think more about the horses than she does. She's too wrapped up in herself and you care more about how the horses feel. That's what makes you better. Well, what do I do then? Start two-year-olds? I don't know enough to train cutting horses. You could learn, she continues. Do you promise me you will start by spending more time outside? Slowly start again with the horses and you will figure the rest out. I promise. Anything else? I ask her. Oh, yes, lots. You do enjoy riding. That's something you could spend more time inside doing. But I would ride outside when you can. But I would ride outside when you can. What about my movie vision? That's your friend's dream, not yours. You do want to write movies, but you don't want to be on set all day or in production or even in post-production. I have to say, the kid nailed it. What about the podcast? I do enjoy the podcast. Am I supposed to give that up? No, I don't think so, she starts. I think that's a good way for you to make passive income, but it's not as important as being outside, she pauses. And I also think your podcast should be about horses. You were right on track with the Western hippie show you wanted to start. But I decided to start back up with Live Aligned Radio. (laughs) I moan in a whinier tone than I care to admit. And it's important for me to help both horses and humans. I'm still processing what you said about horses. 
And I don't think the shows can be merged. I mean, maybe they can. But can horses really heal if their humans aren't healed? I don't think so. And she cuts me off. Oh, stop. You out of all people can do both shows if you want to. So do that. But to do that, you're going to have to stop doing the things that no longer serve you. Eight-year-old Michaela, 10. Present-day Michaela, zero. I let out a sigh of relief. You're right. Is there anything else? Oh, yes. She jumps to the tip of her toes. Stop listening to the people who call you slow. They always say, Michaela, let's go. Or, Michaela, you need to hurry up. But they're missing the point of life. They're missing life itself. They walk by all zoom, 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 zoom. And look around. She releases my hand and spins around with her hands up towards the trees. They miss the trees. They miss the grass. They miss the smell. She bends down and grabs a flower. They miss the beauty of a flower. She sniffs it, releases the flower, and grabs my hand again. They miss it all. But we know that because they missed our pain and suffering so long ago. When you zoom all the time, you stick your head in the sand and act like them. Don't do that. Be different. Go slower. She pauses for a moment, looks up at the sky, then continues. Don't let anyone tell you to hurry up again. It wouldn't hurt you to be more mindful of your time. But you will find you will use your time better when you take your time and stop trying to be on everyone else's time. We walk around the property and admire the grass, the trees, and the beautiful sunny blue sky. A bird soars above us. Oh, she says, I forgot to tell you something. There are reason birds and horses always show up in your sessions. You are supposed to live more like them. Birds help you fly and horses keep you grounded. You are supposed to eat like them too. You're not supposed to eat big and heavy meals. They weigh you down. Eat more small meals and fewer big meals. Trust yourself. Don't listen to the dietitians. They don't know you and only you know what's best for you. There's a reason you always say you want a snack and not a meal. That makes sense, I say to her. I search for any tension in my body and I notice tension on the left side of my jaw. My jaw, I say. Why is there always tension in my jaw? You need to start saying how you feel. You hold your feelings in and don't say what you mean and that creates tension in your jaw. That will take practice to release too. Right again. We walk back up to the bench and sit down next to 12-year-old me on the bench swing. Maybe I need to get one of these swings in real life too. When we swing together for a moment, I look up and see my grandma and grandpa walking towards us, hand in hand. I can see how much they love each other by the way they hold themselves. I always said I never got to see an example of a good relationship in my family, but I was wrong. I may not have seen it for myself, but I absolutely had a good example of a relationship in my family. I can't stop staring at them. They're too adorable for their own good. Go create a family, dear, they tell me. It's the most important thing. So I do want kids, I ask them. They smile at me. You do. I do. I take a deep breath. Grandma continues. Harmony means a whole heart fully freed, dear. And you won't have a whole heart or harmony unless you create a family with someone you love. And you finish releasing the bars built up around your heart. I smile and give them both a hug. I miss you guys. 
You are powerful, my dear, my grandma tells me. You can help a lot of people, and there's no right way to help. Do it in the way you want to do it, and the people who need your help will find their way to you. Thank you, Grandma. I haven't thought of it that way. I know, dear. I hug them, and they disappear. I sit back down on the bench and look from my right to my left. Years of my younger selves line up next to me, like those Russian stackable dolls. We all rise and walk forward. As we walk forward, the younger versions of me become transparent and slide into present-day me. The moment we merge, everyone appears again, and we arrive back in front of the bench. We walk forward to merge once more, only to arrive back in front of the bench. This isn't working. We're forgetting someone, I say out loud. Eight-year-old me grabs my hand and points down at the pond. I see a goth girl walking toward us from the pond. Her hair hangs in front of her face. I can only see half of her eyes and the part of her face that aligns with her nose. Her shoulders slump and her feet drag across the pasture, but eventually she arrives in front of us. Carolyn, I say, my ego. I was just trying to protect you, she says. I smile at her and put my hands on her face. You did such a great job, and I'm so proud and thankful for you. You are? I am. I understand why you kept all of that from me. You did your job to protect me. And now it's our job to come together and let it go. I take my fingers and pull her hair back behind her ears. She smiles, stands up straighter, and moves by my side. We all lock hands and walk forward together to merge as one. As of today, June 20th, 2022, I'm nine months post my first session and a month and a half post my second session. I wanted to share my first two journeys because I believe there's an unknown level of personal freedom and healing achievable for everyone. And I want as many people to, and I want as many people as possible to know that that level exists. I experienced trauma, but I'm not my trauma and neither are you. I've also shared my healing journey publicly over the years, and I would feel like a hypocrite if I didn't share something that has impacted me as much as MDMA therapy has. I can feel again. I got violently sick after my second session. Two hours into lying on the floor, I realized my body needed to physically purge the guilt that arose in the session. My solar plexus burned for two days straight. I kept recalling the scene of eight-year-old me, walking the floor of my babysitter's house. It occurred to me I never spoke publicly about what happened with the babysitter's son. I sat down, wrote my feelings about what I experienced, and I posted it on my Instagram. The second I pressed publish, the burning stopped. In the following weeks, I felt like I processed 22 years of emotion in 28 days. The highs showed me views I didn't know existed, and the lows slammed me against rock bottom without apology. Event after event reoccurred from my past. After the third event reoccurred in one week, I finally saw the correlation with those events and my unprocessed emotions. I was numb. Numb to my emotions and numb to my desires. My first session showed me who I could be, and my second session took a pumice stone to my current being so I could soften up and feel the emotions I dismissed over the years. I knew about the calluses on my hands 
but I had no idea about the calluses on my mental, emotional, and spiritual body. I thought taking psychedelics would make me happier more often, but the truth is it's made me more honest with myself about what I am feeling moment to moment. I'm amazed one substance can create such an experience. I suppose it's kind of like magic, but it's the magic when Dorothy clicks her heels and realizes the magic has been within her all along. MDMA did the revealing, not the healing. MDMA brought things out from under my rug, but once the session ended, it was my choice whether I cleaned up the mess or let it go back under the rug. MDMA showed me who I could be, but it's my choice whether to become that person or not. It's my choice whether I click my heels and fully come back home to myself or continue down the brick road I was on prior to my MDMA sessions. I'm still laughing at the irony of this whole experience. I haven't felt this much joy and hope about the future in a long time. Before my journey, I was afraid to own what I wanted to do with my life, and I'm still not sure what the next year has to unfold, but for the first time in my life, I like it that way, and that feels freeing. A thought keeps appearing in my head to say, hard does not mean bad. Healing journeys tend to get worse before they get better. The point is not to avoid the hard thing, but to go through the hard thing to experience what's even better on the other side. Okay, (laughs) so I originally was just going to end it at the ending of the report that I wrote up, but I just got done editing and decided to jump on here and, I mean, one, just say thank you for listening to that because... Yeah, I I really hope that helped you and gave you like an inside look of what going through any type of trauma work is like. I don't think it matters if what you do, you know, ketamine therapy is pretty much available everywhere. Uh, EMDR therapy is available everywhere. And I just think MDMA does a really good job at helping you look at trauma through God's lens or through love's lens, like whatever you want to look at it as. But I got to be honest with you, I was a little nervous to get on here. I was like, I feel called to make it another ending. And also, I did not expect that, like re-listening to it, to kind of hit me. (laughs) It it, got to hit me. And I think honestly, You know, I, after that session, I had decided, you know, I didn't need to know exactly what happened with my babysitter's son. And the last couple weeks I've been doing breath work has been super transformative for me. And I've been doing a lot of breath work sessions and there's a full moon tonight. So I did a meditation for the full moon today. And so more stuff's been coming up. And to be honest with you, my ego's uh, coming at me with a vengeance, let's say. And I'm like, crap, it's still really protecting me from something. And I, I think if I leave those memories blocked, I think the ego is going to keep that as its job to protect me from those memories, no matter what, like no matter how mean it gets. And I recently just watched Lord of the Rings for the first time. And I've been comparing the ego to Smeagol and Gollum. And if you haven't watched Lord of the Rings, Smeagol and Gollum are the same creature. But Smeagol was this hobbit that turned into Gollum. And Smeagol still has the smidge of good good in him and wants to do things for the right reasons where Gollum is just corrupt and only does things for what he wants. And so sometimes I believe our ego is Smeagol 
and is serving us well and wants to do right by us. And other times the ego is Gollum where it's like, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to get mean. I'm going to push people away from you. I'm going to make you mean, say mean things, do mean things, like no matter what. And my ego's been more there than it has Smeagol. It's been more Gollum than it has Smeagol. And I was like, okay, I think this means that I I do need to set an intention to uncover the rest of these memories because <laughs> because my ego is fighting me so hard. So I just set that intention yesterday, I believe, maybe the day before. And I have um, I currently work with a therapist and a spiritual guidance person, <laughs> and I have a session with them coming up next week. And I'm I have made this decision to put that out there that I know I I do want to uncover this because I believe I do need to know. And when I had left that last MDMA session six months ago or whatever it was, I was like, no, I'm not going to uncover this. I'm just going to leave it as is. And so now listening to that again, I was like, it kind of made reality sink in, if that makes sense. So yeah, I, yeah, (laughs) it was interesting listening to it back. So Anyway, I really hope that was helpful. You guys have been loving the MDMA slash the MDMA podcast. So that's been really exciting for me. And what's been really cool is so many of you have listened from around the world. So that's really cool. If you have any questions about any of this, please reach out to me on my Instagram. I've tagged that below. You can also email me. I am going to put my email address in there. So if you have any questions about trauma work, send me an email. And I am going to be releasing a program called Ignite. And Ignite is about finding the coach within yourself. Because one of the things that I've realized, and I'm going to do a separate podcast on this, but until you have this foundation laid for yourself, it doesn't matter what work you do, what coach you hire. If you don't have a certain level of trust within yourself, like none of the rest, nothing else matters. I wish I could sing like Metallica, but I can't. Can't yet. And so I'm going to be creating that program to help you really rebuild trust with yourself so that you know which healing modality is right for you. So if you go to MichaelaPollock.com forward slash ignite, you can get on the wait list there. And yeah, I, you are way more capable of healing and becoming yourself and remembering who you are than you even realize. And I hope you remember that. Thank you so much for listening to all my podcasts as well as the NDMA Therapy Podcast, and I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Take care, and I I still need to sign off, but I don't have one. So in the words of Tigger, TTFN, ta-ta for now.